Hi, I'm Mark Roderman. Coming up on Front Row, U.S. Supreme Court revisits school prayer. Governor Cooper has a plan to help college students with summer school and his medical marijuana in North Carolina's future next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Join in the conversation. Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation. Broadcast journalist Jonah Kaplan, political analyst Joe Stewart, Colin Campbell, editor of the North Carolina Tribune. Okay, let's begin, Mitch, with the school prayer case currently in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. This is the case of a fellow named Joseph Kennedy, a Marine and a football coach at the high school level in Washington State. And he had gotten into the routine of going after the games to the 50-yard line and saying a prayer. And after having done this a few times, some students who were also Christians said, hey, can we join you? They started joining him. He started leading them in a prayer. And then more students joined in after the games. But then at one point, someone uh, initiated a complaint saying, maybe some of these students are feeling compelled to do this because this is their coach and he controls their playing time. And so once the complaints started coming out, he uh, stopped leading prayers, but still did the prayer and still had some other students out there. But then this eventually led to a lawsuit. The Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals ruled against Kennedy saying that his First Amendment rights to the free exercise of religion uh, paled in comparison to this idea of Compul uh, compulsion to exercise to engage in religious activity that shouldn't take place on the school level. Once the Ninth Circuit came out with its ruling at the Supreme Court level in a rare case, Justices Alito, Gorsuch, also Kavanaugh and Thomas all came out with a, a statement saying that they found this to be a troubling ruling. The case eventually got to the U.S. Supreme Court. We heard the oral arguments, and it looks as if the Supreme Court may be moving in the direction of ruling in Kennedy's, uh, Kennedy's favor. This was voluntary prayer, though, right? Yeah, Nobody the, was coerced to do it. It was not coerced at all, but the, the the complaint was that because this was a coach, because this coach controlled playing time of some of these players, people who might not have wanted to participate might have felt com compelled to do so because he was their coach. Do you think, Joe, this is a culture war issue? Well, at the very least, in the immortal words of the philosophers DMC, run DMC, it's tricky. <laughs> uh, these issues of faith are very hard for people to feel comfortable with in the balance against the right to free speech and a free assembly and the right to religion. And we don't. We have a history of this nation, in this nation, of wanting to resist anything that even gives the appearance that the government is trying to establish some preference over one religious faith versus another. In the expression of faith for this gentleman to kneel and, and give thanks for what he saw as the safe conduct of his players in a game is part of his faith, and it's understandable why a person of faith would feel that way. But the fact that it's a school and that they are young people and they're impressionable and there might be some sense in their minds that they're going to get playing time if they go along with something, even if they don't agree with it, it does have to be adjudicated. Well, you know, Joan, a lot of pro football players take a knee and, and cross themselves after a touchdown. 
I, I think the distinction has to be made where is it sanctioned by the school? Are they doing it as part of, okay, right. we joined together in the national anthem, now let's say a prayer together, or is it done privately? Is the coach making it a part of the game ritual? Is he making it part of the teams coming together versus, again, is that just the freedom of expression? I think for a Supreme Court precedent, we have to look at, can you put the Ten Commandments in front of a school building? Can you uh, mandate a religious service uh, at school if it's a, a public school? That's, again, the distinction. And when it comes to professional sports, again, that's not a publicly funded, funded entity. So right. I don't think that's... Uh, Great this, distinction. I, I don't think that it's kind of apples to apples there. The Supreme Court, yes, it probably is going to come out, definitely. I mean, if you do the math, you just mentioned four. All they need is one more, and they're probably going to get that with either Roberts or with uh, Justice Barrett. But, again, is it something okay. that's school sanctioned, or is it the freedom of expression that's independent of the routine? Colin, wrap this up in about 40 seconds. Yeah, I mean, what's going to be interesting to see is if they rule in favor of the coach, how broadly do they rule and how narrowly tailored is this uh, ruling going to be to this particular scenario, this particular situation, or does it open up the door to some more lawsuits challenging uh, the degree to which prayer may be able to encroach upon the, the school environment? Okay, I'm going to come right back to you. You talked about Governor Cooper's plan to fund college students' uh, summer school classes. Yeah, this is an interesting issue. It sort of speaks to two priorities that the governor has. One is uh, college affordability, uh, but the other is just sort of getting students back on track from the two years of COVID. A lot of students, both uh, in the K-12 and college level, have fallen a little bit behind in their studies. So Cooper, in the last week, has announced this program he's calling the Summer Accelerator. It's going to be $27 million uh, total funding. Um, and it's going to offer $5,000 grants to go to tuition room and board for students who are taking uh, summer classes to catch up in their studies. Um, part of a, sort of a larger push, he's got these other grants for community college studies in general that he's been going around the state promoting. So really seems to be kind of a, a college affordability as a signature issue for the governor right now. Now, UNC President Hans has endorsed this idea. Yeah, he's behind it. What's particularly interesting to me about it is that this is not something that the legislature signed off on. He asked for more money for this program through the last budget process, didn't get it, but is coming back with this sort of pot of money that comes through some of the federal COVID money that uh, the governor controls, and therefore he can sort of create this program on his own without going through the legislature as he might otherwise have to do. What do you think the odds are, Joe, that he'll get more money from the legislature? Well, it appears that the tax collections are a little bit ahead of schedule, so there may be a bit more money for the General Assembly to hand out for projects like this once they reconvene after the primary election in the short session. And I think it probably is uh, symbolically important for us to do the things what I would call uh, as we enter the condiment phase of the pandemic where it's all about catch-up. So we're going to have to make these kinds Clever. of investments to get people over the last two years who've had a setback of one kind or another to get them back to where they would have been if they hadn't had the disruption of COVID. Mitch. To me, the interesting piece is something that Colin alluded to, and the fact is that Governor Cooper is using some money that he has control of that came from the federal government as part of dealing with COVID. And I think the General Assembly if you set that aside, would probably be amenable to this, especially since the UNC system seems to like it, that President Hans is supporting this. But you run into this situation that we've seen a number of times in recent years where you have Governor Cooper on one side, you have legislative leaders on the other, and they're kind of tugging over who can control policy and money. And if they look at this and see this as a way of the governor trying to get around them, they might not be as amenable to supporting it as they would otherwise. Jonah. Well, then hopefully they just keep their eye on the ball, which is what Governor Cooper has been consistent of. We're having all these new companies coming here. 
we want to give them North Carolinians for their jobs. We don't want to have to bring in other people. We have to develop a workforce. And the finish line grants that the governor has pushed for, the enrollment that has dropped in community colleges in particular, when people have been dropping out because they need to get other jobs to come up with some of these other monies, this is where the gap is going to create, especially when we come to equity and affordability and getting more marginalized communities to get some of these jobs that are coming in, whether it's Toyota, whether it's Boom, whether it's Apple coming in. We have to get those skills and not even just those big jobs, but we need more paramedics. We need more nurses. Those are the kind of people that go to these summer schools. Those are the kind of positions where you need those certifications and you can finish out at summer school. You know, a lot of these kids, Joe, are way behind because of COVID. Yeah, I, I can speak from my, uh, my own daughter's experience. She's a junior at Appalachian, and she had to take a semester off. The online learning platform just wasn't for her, but she's now a little bit behind where she needs to be to stay on track to graduate in time. And I think ultimately what President Hahn said is the university is very committed to keeping kids on that track to finish their degree work within four years. And so it is going to take this a little bit of additional instruction time to make sure that most kids can stay on schedule. Colin, final thoughts in about 20 seconds, my friend. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be interesting to see if this this sort of thing continues and whether the governor is going to lead the charge on this and, and whether the legislature goes along to expand it going forward with the more money the governor is going to request. Okay, I want to move on and talk about medical marijuana. There may be some momentum in the General Assembly, Jenna. Well, if we look at other historical uh, kind of coming through in North Carolina, uh, they were among the last to add a lottery. This could be a different gamble. See what I did there? Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> don't compete. North Carolina, North Carolina is one of only 13 states in the country right now that has no form of basically legal, whether it's recreational marijuana or even medicinal marijuana. And now there's a bill that could be coming up in the short session. Uh, I believe Senate Bill 711 which also now makes kind of fun sense. Um, yeah, how about that? Uh, so, which is going to potentially legalize at least marijuana for medicinal purposes. Obviously, there's a lot at play here. One is if you have, uh, again, marginalized communities, decriminalizing marijuana could reduce the amount of people going to prison, could reduce kind of the, the strain on the justice system. Could also be a cash windfall. Colorado, for instance, is bringing in more than $420 million in tax revenues by legalizing recreational marijuana. I don't think in North Carolina they're going to go from zero to 100 that quickly. But medicinal marijuana, look, Virginia is having that, and they're on track by 2024 to make it legal for recreation. So. The question for North Carolina lawmakers is, is it going to balance kind of the push towards modernity, the push towards progressivism, or is it going to be the more conservative state? And look, we have a lot of young people, a lot of colleges. This is where it gets dicey. You know, 50, Survey USA said 57% of North Carolinians want legalized rec recreational marijuana. Yeah, that's uh, sort of a, a pretty... Staggering number. I saw number. that in your Tribune. Yeah, exactly. We had we had that poll in the Tribune, and um, another thing we had in the Tribune, interestingly, was looking at um, the way the two chambers in the legislature view this issue. The Senate uh, is very in supportive of this. Senate Rules Chairman Bill Rabin, who's the second most powerful guy in the Senate, is sponsoring it. Senate Leader Phil Berger has said he supports Rabin's version of the bill, which is about as conservative approach to medical marijuana as you can get a lot of safeguards that prevent you from going in there and saying, ah, oh, my back hurts, can I have a prescription for weed? Um, but the House, uh, when I talked to House Speaker Tim Moore, he says there's not an appetite in the House Republican caucus to do this. So even though the polling suggests that there's a big support from it, a lot of these, you know, small town conservative lawmakers across the state and the House aren't quite ready to take that step and get on board with this. So I'm not sure it happens this year. Mitch. 
Yeah, I think the most interesting thing is sort of the changing dynamics on which chamber of the General Assembly is standing athwart various ideas. Oftentimes, it's been seen as the Senate standing in the way of, of these types of uh, procedures. But because Bill Rabin, who's such a powerful member of the Senate, is the main backer, that chamber seems to be uh, inclined to go along with it, whereas the House seems to be the one stepping back and saying, wait a minute, we're not sure about this. The same thing is playing out when you look at Medicaid expansion. Well, what is the case for medical marijuana? Well, certainly, there is an argument to be made that this is the type of thing that's going to help people who are dealing with chronic conditions where other things don't help, and, and perhaps one of the alternatives is, is having chemo or, or an opioid that could become a, a huge problem for them. If medical marijuana is a good alternative, people are saying, why not give it a try? You mentioned that 57% support for the recreational. The support for uh, medicinal marijuana was much higher, I think higher than 70%. John, about a minute to wrap. But again, I mean, it's not just the polling. I mean, other states, 37 states are doing it. And for many of these states, they're making a lot of money. So North Carolina is probably going to look at, yes, we, we have a, a, a good surplus of cash coming from sales tax. Is this another place? We talked about online gambling. That's something happening in many other states, whether it's Tennessee, whether it's Virginia, whether it's South Carolina. But where is it going let, to come from? Let Joe jump in here. Yeah, one, one final observation. Senator Rabin himself has a very compelling personal story to tell. While battling cancer, he found that marijuana provided some relief from some of the side effects for his treatment. Soldiers with PTSD report that this really helps them. But we still have a long way to go. Is, is allowing smokable forms of marijuana the right way? Are there other medicinal applications, nebulizers or inhalers? And how will we distribute it? Maybe through the ABC stores. Maybe that's the right way to do it. Okay, I want to come right back to you. The richest man in the world just bought Twitter. Quite a firestorm. Yes, it's very interesting. Elon Musk, the wealthiest man in the world of uh, Tesla uh, fame, uh, he said he wants to purchase uh, Twitter, and he's offering up $44 billion, which I checked, by the way, would allow Front Row to be broadcast for 500,000 years. Wow. <laughs> and so just saying, if he wants to come next to your door, Mark, you might be able to go on for half a million years. Just give years. me a meeting with him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Musk had been purchasing Twitter stock for a while and had gotten up to about 10% ownership share. There was some discussion about him joining the board of Twitter, which he initially said yes and then no. Then it looked like Twitter was going to resist the purchase, and now they seemingly have gotten together. Now, not all of this is his own money. He's putting up about $21 billion of the 44, offering a stock pocket price change. of 50, yeah, pocket change, $54.20 uh, per share. The stock has been down. They just released quarterly earnings of $1.2 billion uh, for the first quarter, which is a 16 percent increase. And the bottom line here is, is, despite the fact that Musk said that Twitter is a global platform for free speech and in its current form, it can either thrive nor serve that social imperative. But this is a business decision. And Twitter, which was founded in 2013, was really only profitable for the first time in 2018. It's still some question how they generate the ad revenue to make it worthwhile. It's not the largest social media platform. Facebook dwarfs it with 3 billion utilizers right. worldwide. So the question is, is Musk going to use this for good? Or will he become another robber baron like Jay Gould, the railroad uh, okay. in the 19th century, who bought Western Union to try to control the distribution of news through AP? Mitch, what's been the reaction from the tech giants and, med and the media and mainstream media? Well, a lot in the mainstream media have been worried about what is Elon Musk going to be doing with this, the, the idea that perhaps he's going to be allowing a lot of disinformation to be, to be spread on Twitter. To me, some of the most interesting reactions are Jack Dorsey, the guy who was the, the, the man behind Twitter, who says that 
uh, Elon Musk is the singular solution I trust. Well, he stands to make about a billion dollars, too. Well, yeah, so, but he, yeah, he does, so, trust anybody. Yeah, <laughs> but he, he definitely has endorsed this. Meanwhile, Jeff Bezos has been trolling Musk about this and, uh, and saying that he thinks that, that this is perhaps going to enable the Chinese to be playing some more nefarious role in our politics. Well, Bezos has his own online newspaper, right, The Washington Post. Exactly. <laughs> Colin. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the difference is, you know, we're definitely moving into an era where rich guys do control the media. And with respect to sort of the profitability angle, the question is, does Musk really think he can make this more profitable, right. get more people to sign up for the service and use it just as much as they do Facebook or TikTok or Instagram? Um, or does he just want to have more of a say in this space where the media plays heavily, politicians play heavily, a lot of very powerful, very influential people uh, spend a lot of time on, uh, on Twitter, a lot of us journalists spend way too much time on Twitter, and that sort of shapes our understanding of the world, and that's where it can be a sort of an influential platform, more so than just the average person wanting to go on there and post their vacation pics. Jonah, do you think that Musk just wants the megaphone? What's he can been promote Tesla on this, What's you been know? interesting to watch is he's almost kind of been the new Donald Trump in that everyone now is excited about what he tweets. I mean, everything from when he says, I'm going to buy Coca-Cola to put the cocaine back in it, <laughs> or I'm going to buy McDonald's because I can't stand that the ice cream machines are always broken. I mean, these things are going viral. And every time he, and this morning, uh, we we're taping on a Friday, he says that uh, the far left hates that uh, they, they hate themselves. And I'm not a fan of the far right either. Let's promote uh, more love and less but hate. There has been a lot of censorship, like the Hunter Biden story never made it on Twitter. Well, and and by the way, it's been proved to be right that the laptop is real, right? I think the what what Musk is going to have to balance here is he says he wants to promote the laws of free speech. That's great, but free speech could also mean some very gory material. It could mean explicit material. Free speech, does that mean Holocaust deniers should be allowed on Twitter? Does that Farrakhan? mean, does that, fair, Farrakhan, does it mean that the does Trump uh, come back? Iran, well, he says he's not. Does it mean that all world leaders should have, whether it's Putin, whether it's the right. Ayatollah? What is this, so where is the balance of free speech? What's the point of Twitter besides okay, to make we'll money? Okay, we'll continue to follow that. Let's go to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch. North Carolina recently got an F grade in a new report, and usually that's bad news, but in this case, it might not be. Uh, an anti-school choice group that's called the Network for Public Education, based in New York City, gave North Carolina an F and ranked the state 46th out of 50 for its education policies, mainly because of the robust school choice that we have, the Opportunity Scholarships, uh, a growing number of public charter schools, also an education savings account. And so uh, this really, this ranking flies in the face of what parents have been talking about ever since the COVID-19 pandemic came out, the opportunity to have more parental choice, more options for your kids. If you really don't like having the school choice and you want to go by what this uh, this ranking says, then you could look at Nebraska. Who the funds them? Do you know? I don't know the funding of this group, but, but it is a left of center group and, and very much in favor of uh, the public public schools and pumping more money into them. Nebraska, the Dakotas, Vermont, and Kentucky do really well in their ranking. Jonah underreported, my friend. So the president and the administration typically has a press secretary, but now the Department of Homeland Security is starting a disinformation governance board. And this is... It's a slippery slope, and okay, so they're going to, uh, you know, under get these Orcus, the secretary. under the secretary, and and it's specific to monitor and combat misinformation, disinformation, specific to Russia, specific to immigration at the border, specific to COVID nineteen. 
Who is the government, though, to regulate what is accurate or non-accurate or misinformation? Is it, and really, who is the arbiter of that? When now we have such proliferation well, of isn't information, isn't free speech the arbiter? Why, why, why can the government call balls and strikes? Uh, that's the slippery slope that it's going down. It, now, two things could be true at the same time. There is misinformation about different things that are out there, but is it the government's role to then call that out? And where is the line between what the government says? Can it say we don't like that article, right. even though it's two years ago when they were saying COVID nineteen oh. might have come from a factory or it come from a lab? No, that was misinformation. Now, right. it's not misinformation. It's very Orwellian. Joe? Well, with all the talk about Twitter this week, a new social media platform has emerged, Be Real, and it's trying to keep things authentic. It twice a, once a day, at a keep random real, time during man. the day, keep it, real. <laughs> it sends you a message. You have two minutes to take a picture with your phone, both the front and rear-looking cameras, so it's you in real time doing something, no chance to be made up. It's only going to project the real sense of people, no likes, no filters. It'll just be us living our lives with everybody else that we know. You know now, this is real? Putting the phone down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the question is, if people are starting to anticipate this, do they make themselves up and yeah. are that way all day long waiting for that? their two minutes? <laughs> so we'll see. Colin. Um, so my underreported this week, uh, some uh, interesting outside money coming into two Democratic congressional primaries in North Carolina. One's the 4th District, western side of the Triangle. Uh, the other is up in eastern North Carolina. And this group of the American Israel Public Affairs Committee has one of their associated super PACs dropping uh, about $300,000 on ads uh, each in two races. One's to support Don Davis, who's sort of the moderate state Senate Democrat running for Congress up in the Northeast in the 1st District. The other is for another state senator, Valerie Fushi, who's running in the, the fourth district. Um, and what's interesting about this is that this is a group that uh, typically supports more Republican candidates. Obviously, they, they are a group that supports uh, Israel's interest in, in the U.S. and in, in our foreign policy. Right. Uh, but they're, they're backing the more moderate candidates in these and spending more than the candidates themselves raised for their own campaign in the first quarter. So pretty good amount of money going into these ads, but not controlled by the campaigns Thanks themselves. Thanks for bringing that to our attention. Let's go to lightning round, Mitch. Who's up? Who's down this week? Who's up? Anybody but Biden. There was an interesting poll that came out from Issues and Insights and TIPP that asked who should the Democrats put on the ballot in 2024. 81% answered someone other than Joe Biden. Only 19% thought that the president should run for re-election. Even among Democrats, only 29% of them wanted Biden on the ballot. Only 12% wanted Kamala Harris on the ballot. Okay. Down U.S. gross domestic product, down at an annualized rate of 1.4% for the first quarter. It had been expected to be down 1%, so that was even worse than expected. Jonah. Up is the number of anti-Semitic incidents in America, according to a new report from the Anti-Defamation League. A lot of it has to do with the connection between what's happening in Israel and Jews around the world, and especially in America, okay. getting blamed for that. And with this notion with APAC, which typically has been bipartisan, now as the Democrats slide left, that's why they're getting more involved. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of a frightening scenario for many American Jews. Uh, what's down are the extremes of both parties. Cawthorn, Chip, uh, Chip Roy, and uh, the squad all voted together, Marjorie Taylor Greene, in voting against a measure that would allow the U.S. to seize assets of Vladimir Putin. 
Joe. Up is union activity, even though only about 11% of American workers are in a union, which is half of what it was 30 years ago. The perceptions of unions have relatively, uh, are relatively unchanged over the last 50 years. Uh, Gallup poll shows 90% of Democrats approve of unions, 66% of uh, unaffiliated voters, but only 47% of Republicans uh, are favoring unions. We continue to see efforts with Apple and Starbucks and other groups. Amazon. And Amazon. I, I think American attitudes about unionization probably do not change. Change much down the public's interest in in January 6 investigations that the Democrats may see this as a fire up your base kind of thing but a recent poll from the Pew Charitable Trust said that the percentage of, of Americans who said Donald Trump bore primary responsibility for January 6 is down eight percentage points and it's down 11 percent among Democrats this this year over last year. I think there's too many issues superseding it, don't you? Well, and to some extent, you might say other things now are occupying people's attention about Donald Trump, including his legal problems in New York and such. But I think it is like anything else in American politics. People okay. just want it to be over and move on. Colin. So up, I've got uh, State Senator Chuck Edwards, who, of course, is running against uh, Congressman Madison Cawthorn out in the western end of the state. Cawthorn has had more scandals in the past week than we have time to ever talk about on the show. <laughs> uh, and Edwards, according to some of the polling, seems to be reaping the benefits of that and really is standing out as the main opponent. Whether he's got enough mojo to get across okay. the finish line, who knows. Uh, down, I've got uh, the uh, North Carolina Division of Emergency Management. They got kind of raked over the coals during a legislative hearing this past week right. over a school safety panic alarm system. They were given funding for years ago. Uh, have not uh, gotten any of those into schools yet. Headline next week, Mitch. Fed Open Market Committee meets amid growing concerns about inflation. 50 basis point rate. That's what they're talking about. Headline quickly. Carolina Hurricanes, number one seed, heading into the Stanley Cup playoffs. Headline next week. Primary election goes to hyperdrive now that the early voting started. Can a fist fight between two candidates over yard signs be far behind? I'm not seeing many yard signs. Are you? I, I was traveling the state this week. I'm seeing a lot. For sure. Colin, quickly. <laughs> yeah. uh, early voting uh, in the first week falls short of uh, expectations as far as turnout. Great job, gents. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by. Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.